Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. I'm Josh Popachek, your host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the news headlines for the week ending July 24th, 2021. It's been another busy week in the Saucon Valley area with lots of news, so we'll get right to it. I want to start off, though, by uh, talking a little bit about the Olympics, which obviously just began in Tokyo, and there's a lot of excitement about the Olympics, which are different this year, of course, because of COVID-19. There are no spectators being allowed at any of the events, for one thing, and in spite of all the precautions, we are still seeing headlines about COVID cases among athletes from various countries, and that's obviously concerning. So hopefully it won't diminish the meaning of the games and won't negatively impact any of our athletes who work so hard over so many years to get to this point. I know that's why they didn't want to cancel them altogether. That was certainly one of the reasons. And it's understandable because when you're at that level, you have a limited window in terms of the amount of time you have to compete. Age is something that affects all of us. So to postpone them till 2024 would have knocked some people out of the competition altogether. So I hope that everybody is safe over there. But the local connection to the Olympics is that we had a special visitor in the Hellertown area several weeks ago, Norman Tate, who competed in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City as a long jumper, was a guest of another former Olympian, Joetta Clark Diggs, who we have interviewed on No Rain Date in the recent past. Joetta was hosting her annual track camp for young people at Saucon Valley High School this year, and I was privileged to visit one day, and it happened to be the day when Mr. Tate was there, and he is just an inspiration. He is 79 years old and still very physically fit and active. He's a coach at Rowan University in New Jersey. He was there the entire day to help coach the kids, but also to talk about his life experiences and just to motivate them. And And he had some great things to say. I was able to get some of it on video and the video is embedded in our story on sockandsource.com. So I hope you'll want to watch that, check out the pictures. I also have an exclusive, his thoughts about this year's Olympics and who he's going to be watching in track and field, particularly the 400 meter hurdles for men and women. You might want to follow his predictions and, and see how they turn out. I'm excited to do that, but it was really a privilege to meet him. So glad that Joetta created this camp, which really is a great opportunity for kids from, there were kids from elementary school right up through about 18. So it was a wide range of kids. There were about 50 campers and all seemed to be having a great time and really benefiting from the high level of instruction that they were getting. So that was really cool. 
In other news, out of Lower Saucon Township, the issues involving the two volunteer fire companies in the township are continuing. Uh, however, it seems like the township is moving closer to some type of resolution. As you may recall, last year, Township Council told the two fire companies, Lower Saucon Fire Rescue and Steel City Volunteer Fire Company, that they wanted them to merge this year, specifically in the first half of 2021, and that hasn't happened. Some other things have happened, and they aren't looking too good for Steel City. For one thing, the township solicitor for Lower Saucon Township Council, Link Treadwell, has been looking into an accounting irregularity that appears in the 2019 taxes for Steel City, and he has been trying to get answers about that. This regards a $40,000 donation that was made to an injured police officer in New Jersey. And at Wednesday's council meeting, Solicitor Treadwell was asked whether he has received answers to questions he put to the Steel City Fire Company's attorney, and he said he has not. So they did not have that information, which is obviously of critical value at this juncture. If they don't have confidence in the bookkeeping of one of the fire companies, they're certainly not going to want the other fire company to merge with them. And it may be a moot point because Steel City has not been cooperative, according to council members and others, Regarding this merger, they have delivered a number of requirements to council and have not been very communicative. In fact, the chief and the two assistant chiefs were not at the council meeting on Wednesday, which sort of surprised me. I would certainly think that if you want to continue as a functioning fire company in the township, you would be present and be willing to be transparent and and answer questions. They weren't willing to do that, and apparently their attorney had told counsel and Solicitor Treadwell before Wednesday's meeting that the chief and the assistants would not be there. A man who said he is the vice president of Steel City actually was there. That was a bit of a surprise. I think he went not planning to talk. That was the impression I had, but public comment sort of pushed him to get up and speak in spite of the fact that he said their attorney had recommended or encouraged them not to speak at the meeting. This was Kevin Kalman, and uh, he spoke at length with counsel, and I think it was actually helpful to counsel and the community to have somebody from the company breaking the silence, and I think he was genuine in what he said. I mean, at this point, communication is better than no communication, and I'm sure that was frustrating for counsel not to have anybody there from Steel City. If they want to, you know, remain a viable fire company, I don't know why they would not have been there. Lower Saucon Fire Rescue Chief Ty Johnson presented his company's annual report to council. It was very detailed. It was well-received. It included statistics from the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, which tracks things like response times, of fire companies, the number of calls they participate in every year, 
And there's really not much comparison between the two companies because Lower Sock and Fire Rescue responded to something like over 700 calls in 2020. And that was hundreds of times more than Steel City did. Their membership is much bigger. It's 67 active members at this point out of three different stations. Steel City obviously just has the one station and they claim to have 12 or so active members, but that's disputed. It could be as few as three or four, it sounds like. That, again, was difficult to ascertain a true figure because nobody from Steel City was there. One of the most important statistics that was shared is regarding the uh, turnout time. That's the time from the call's receipt until the volunteer is en route to the incident. And again, it wasn't even close between the two companies. Steel City's average turnout time in 2020 was something like a little over 17 minutes. And Lower Sock and Fire Rescues was like 1.2 minutes. So, you know, obviously staffing is an issue, but if Lower Sock and Fire Rescue is able to turn out faster, and they can cover the entire township, I don't really see why you wouldn't want them to because everybody's going to benefit in that case. One of the council members, Tom Croce, spoke about ego and the role that that may be playing in this situation. And certainly I wouldn't rule that out, but you know, safety should come before ego. And I hope that everyone involved with Steel City will do the right thing for themselves and more importantly for the people of the township. Presumably that's why they got into this in the first place. I think they can sort of redeem themselves at this point if they decide to cooperate and put their pride aside and do what's best for the community. So we'll be following that story closely. The next critical point is August 18th. That's when Lower Saucon Township Council will meet next. And council is scheduled to vote on an ordinance that would make Lower Saucon Fire Rescue the sole fire services provider in Lower Saucon. So essentially that would, you know, close the door on Steel City. I, I guess they could continue as some type of organization, but they would be responsible for their own funding. I think it would be very difficult for them to be viable after that if they're they're no longer recognized by the township. And so hopefully, you know, it doesn't come to that. I know the township would like an agreement with them to uh, transfer their assets to the township so that they don't have to fight them over that, which could, you know, impede safety and cause other issues. So there's more to the story than that. I would encourage everybody to read our article. It's a bit lengthy. It's about 11, 1200 words, but you know, you kind of have to write a story that long when there's this level of complexity to it. We think it's very important for the community to have the facts in a case like this. In a place like Lower Saucon Township, volunteer fire companies are sort of a foundational, you know, part of the community. So this is important stuff and I hope everybody's, you know, paying attention and aware of the significance of, of what is happening and, and thankful for our volunteers that are, you know, serving because they put in a lot of hours and don't always get the recognition that they deserve. So thank you to all of our volunteers. In development-related news, we had a story about 
project in Hellertown's North End. This is on Kickline Avenue, a mixed-use building that's going to house 28 residential and office units. We'll soon begin construction at the corner of Kickline and Clouser Street. This is, uh, if you're familiar with where Vassie's Drive-In is on Main Street in Hellertown, Kickline Avenue runs down one side of Vassie's down the hill. And it's uh, in an area that's sort of a mix of single-family homes, apartments, and some vacant lots. And the nature of the neighborhood, the character of the neighborhood, has sort of changed somewhat over the years. And I think that's one reason that several years ago, Borough Council created what is called a Flexible Redevelopment Overlay District in that part of Hellertown. It includes Kickline Avenue. And essentially, this was to encourage development in the area and redevelopment. And this is probably the first project that has gotten this far in the Overlay District, which allows for more mixed-use projects like this one. Of course, there was some negative feedback about it on our Facebook page. That wasn't surprising. One of the comments uh, by uh, Bill Brune was was very spot on, and you know he talked about participation in local government. There's currently a vacancy on the Hellertown Planning Commission. You know, if you are that concerned about issues related to development in Hellertown, step up and volunteer. Make your voice heard in some way other than on Facebook, because that is sort of like getting old (laughs) at times and um, you know of course that comment was rejected by some people but I totally agree with Bill and of course not everybody can serve but it's getting harder and harder every year to find those volunteers to put in the time and do the research about projects and serve their community you know and Hellertown is a very desirable place right now. That's the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of infill happening. Large lots are being subdivided so that, you know, a house can be built on the vacant part of the lot. There's a housing shortage too. So a lot of what we're seeing is simply the result of market supply and demand and the fact that this is a town that people want to be in and it's in a very highly rated school district. So I think the point is sometimes missed that, you know, everybody is actually benefiting from projects like this. Like your property values are going to go up because of whatever these new units are going to cost. So the, the whole there goes the neighborhood kind of take on it, I think, is not that accurate. Of course, if you want open space, you know, then yeah, it's not good news. But You know, Hellertown has never really been the place for that. More traffic, yes, but there will be parking to go along with this building. 56 spaces for a 28-unit building. I don't think the businesses are going to be like the high-traffic type businesses where you have a lot of walk-ins. It's going to be more like office and, you know, small service businesses that don't have a lot of walk-in traffic. A lot of businesses don't you know, post-COVID anyway, because so many things are done online now. So I think fears about traffic backups on Kickline are a little bit overblown. Of course, we'll see how that works out when, when this development is completed. But, you know, at least 
give it a chance, look at the positives and the negatives, because nothing is all negatives. And certainly this isn't. Same thing, you know, sort of with the Starbucks that we reported on. We've been reporting on this Starbucks for about a year and a half. It was initially announced in February 2020, just before the pandemic, that a Starbucks would be built or be located in the former Bank of America branch at Polk Valley Road and Main Street in Hellertown. It's right across the street from McDonald's. There was some work that took place on it last year. Then it stopped, and it's sort of been stopped uh, for probably eight or nine months. I talked to Hellertown Zoning and Codes Enforcement Officer Chris Russo this past week, and he said, you know, expect to see the work uh, resuming there soon because they did finally file their land improvement plan with the borough. Everything's finalized, and so they're going to go full steam ahead. And I believe they wanted to open in September. I don't know if that's going to happen because it's almost August now, but probably sometime this fall, there will be a new Starbucks in Hellertown. It will have a large drive through that wraps around it. And no, the Starbucks at the Giant is not closing. That is a Starbucks authorized retailer and a kiosk. They do not have the full line of Starbucks products. I would compare that to like a Verizon authorized retailer versus a Verizon company store. And obviously there's no drive-through for the giant Starbucks. So there will be two Starbucks within about a quarter of a mile of each other. But if you don't like Starbucks, you don't have to go to either one. Again, I think a lot of small towns would kill to have a chain like a Starbucks going into their community. I mean, that right there is going to boost the values of real estate all around it. And certainly the shops at Hellertown needs a boost because there are about seven vacancies in that shopping center right now. And that's directly behind where the Starbucks is going to be located. I didn't see anybody mention that. However, whenever we report on another store closing, it's nothing but complaints. <laughs> so again, look at the potential positives and not just the negatives. And this is one story that pretty much everybody was positive about because it's going to prevent development of open space in Lower Saucon Township. At the council meeting on Wednesday, Lower Saucon Council voted unanimously to purchase a nine-acre tract of land at the end of Raiders Lane East. This is off Hickory Hill Road. The parcel is a long, sort of narrow piece of land, and it's wedged in between two housing developments. One is Washington Estates, Majestic Overlook Drive, and the other, I believe, is the development along Alice Drive. So this is very close to where 78 goes through the township. This property has been, I think, discussed for years, and residents of those developments were fearful that it would eventually be developed and link their two developments, which they did not want, at least the residents that I've spoken to, for obvious reasons, more through traffic and uh, more noise. So that's not going to happen because the township has no plans for this land. They basically purchased it 
I believe, to prevent any chance of development. They certainly had the money to purchase it. The purchase price was about 450000 Lower Stockton has over $10.5 million in their open space fund. So nobody was complaining for once about the uh, amount of money the township was spending. And that's pretty much that. I, I don't think they will develop it in any way. I don't think it will become a park. It's not really suitable for that in that location. If you live in one of those neighborhoods, you're probably pretty happy this week. In politics news, President Joe Biden will be visiting the Lehigh Valley in a couple of days on Wednesday, July 28th. He will be visiting a business in the McCungie area to talk about jobs and encouraging production of goods in the United States. I thought it was interesting that just six months into his first term in office, he is already visiting the Lehigh Valley, which was a critical area for him in terms of votes in November. Lehigh and Northampton County are often bellwethers, and they proved to be bellwethers again in 2020. Both went for Biden, and they helped tip the state towards him, too. And, of course, Pennsylvania was the state that put him over the 270 electoral vote threshold. We'll be watching you know, his visit to see what he says and what he says about our Lehigh Valley. Finally, we had an interesting story about improvements happening at Alfred Fritchman Reservoir Park in Lower Saucon Township. It's sort of the forgotten park, maybe. It's an unusual park because it's not part of the township system. It's actually owned by the Hellertown Borough Authority. And what's really exciting is after, you know, sort of deteriorating over the years, the Borough Authority is actively renovating the park and really putting a lot of thought into what they're doing. They want to make it more accessible and of course they want to rent out the pavilion. That'll generate income for the authority, but it is a beautiful park. It's very shady with large tall trees. It's quiet. Like I said, they have a beautiful pavilion. They have restrooms. They have lots of amenities all in one place. I spoke with the borough authority administrator, Lauren, Saflita, she talked about how in 2020 it became more popular because people were looking for outdoor venues for events like weddings. So they're kind of seizing on that momentum and making improvements. And one thing she mentioned is she'd like to have a play area added. So if you're bringing young kids to the park, you can bring them there. I think it's just a great resource for the area. I've enjoyed going there for a quiet walk just to collect my thoughts. It's really close to Hellertown, but you feel like you're far away somewhere. So never been there. Check it out. It's sort of behind the Saucon Valley School District campus. You just go to the end of Reservoir Road and there's parking right there. And then you just walk up. There's a little babbling stream. There's fields. There is a new um, horseshoe court that was installed by an Eagle Scout. Maybe you'll spot some wildlife, so check it out. And that is our news roundup for this week, and we hope you've had a great week, and we'll see you next week. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. 
a large part of that is a public service. And we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community, and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome our special guest who is very involved in the local art scene. His name is Patrick Brogan. He's the Chief Programming Officer for ArtsQuest, which oversees Music Fest, and that's what we're going to specifically talk about today. But welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here and excited to dive into all things Music Fest this summer. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's perfect timing for that. People are excited beyond the normal level of excited for Music Fest 2021 because of 2020. And I'm sure you're well, well aware of that feeling that. Certainly we have been anxious to get back across the city, across the stages and bring back that kind of volume of entertainment we see and, and volume of impact that Music Fest sees on the community. Right. Well, I want to I want to talk about 2020 and then talk about everything that's happening this year and it's a lot. But first I want to sort of like take people back to the beginning in case they're new to the area, maybe they're not familiar with Music Fest and they're like, "What is this Music Fest that I keep hearing about?" Sure. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. So, uh, let's talk about the history a little bit. Sure. Music Fest began in 1984, so we're celebrating our 38th Music Fest this year. It began in 1984 as kind of a, a revitalization attempt and a shot in the arm attempt for the local economy by a group of volunteers who came up with a nine-day music festival event based on our German heritage in the area. So our our sites are called Plotzes. You know, it's Music Fest with the K. It's It's got these subtle notes to the German ancestry of the area and certainly the Moravians who founded Bethlehem. So it began in 1984, nine days, eight stages that first year, and 
has grown now into a 10-day event, this year an 11-day event, across uh, 17 stages that welcomes more than a million visitors to town. Staying in our hotels and eating in our restaurants and shopping in our shops, which is uh, as much the goal of Music Fest as it is that magical moment that people discover a new band uh, for the first time or connect with old friends under the stars on Main Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting that you brought up the, the German theme that it had in the beginning because over the years that's sort of evolved as as our sure. area has become more diverse. I'm thinking of Plaza Tropical. For Absolutely. Or it's it's actually this is the twentieth anniversary of Plaza Tropical oh, wow. as a site in the festival. So you know, Music Fest has evolved, continues to evolve and change. I know we'll talk about some of the changes for this year coming up too. We, you know, we, we had a stage dedicated to polka all day, every day when we began for for decades, right? And that's evolved a bit. There's still polka in the festival, but not quite the, the volume we've had in the past. So always evolving, always. And, and in fact, this year with an EDM artist on the main stage and Zed. So, you know, always, mm-hmm. always evolving and, and trying new and, and different things. Right. I think that's... An essential thing, obviously, if you want to stay relevant. Change or die, right? You know, it's it's right. our, our ability to change and adapt with the times has allowed Music Fest to thrive over the years. Right. Now, in 2020, you had to adapt more than ever before, as most of us did. Certainly. And, and take us back to, like, March 2020 and what was going through your mind and, and other people's minds at Music Fest, because at that point, the festival was, like, five sure, months away. Sure, sure. Obviously, we have shows at Steel Stacks. Uh, almost every, we're open every day of the year for movie. We have a first-round movie theater, so we're open 365. And so in March, it was kind of that immediate shock. There was a there was a Friday that we all came in, the 13th, expecting to do a show in the cafe that night with a blues artist. That midday, we punted on. And then even Saturday morning, we all woke up thinking we were going to do a show with Jim Messina that Saturday night of uh, Loggins and Messina. And by mid-morning, it became very clear that, you know, we were heading towards lockdown and, and that announcement would come on Monday, right, or Monday or Tuesday and that this was not a safe environment. So, you know, there was that immediate short term of like, we had a lot of things going on that, you know, in it always, constantly at Seal Stack. So there was some of that, the longer vision of Music Fest jumped to, okay, so what if we have to limit capacity? Or what if we don't have the budget to do everything we want to do? What would we eliminate? Or what would we reduce? Or what, you know, we spent, the end of March, the better part of April, even kind of planning for what Music Fest 2020 would look like as if, you know, the, the two-week lockdown, right, and then the four-week lockdown, as if that was going to end in, or, or we'd get the relief in some way to be able to produce, quote-unquote, Music Fest as people know it. Obviously, that would never come. So by late April, early May, we had turned our attention to, okay, what does this look like, you know, in a virtual setting? And knowing we virtual, so we spent most of May building that virtual festival and some of the opportunities for that, figuring out how to work in the continued support of sponsors who were tremendous, contracting artists from now it could be all over the world to record some sets for us, which was pretty cool for the virtual component. And then we announced that in June, and then in July, sure enough, we were able to re- release some restri- reduce some restrictions. 
in Pennsylvania. And so we were able to add some in-person components, a food court area, and then we did six live in-person socially distanced shows. And, and those were the, some of the first things. Fourth of July was our first socially distanced show on the campus last summer, hmm. which taught us a lot about, you know, we came out on the fifth, we all got together and said, okay, so last night went pretty well. We know we can do this now. How do we make that work for Music Fest? And, you know, and a, and a month later, we sold out all six nights of in-person for the festival. Hmm. Now was it, I'm I'm curious to know was there was it ever an option to just not have it at all in 2020? Certainly, and, and certainly a lot of our colleagues across the country in festivals had to choose that option and say we're just gonna we're just gonna close up we're gonna we're gonna let go of all of our staff we're gonna wh- whatever you know we, everyone in the event live entertainment business was faced with very hard decisions and and certainly we all were as, as humans and families and and, and everything as well but. You know, in our bit from a business sense, some businesses were were thriving during COVID for various you know different reasons, and and ours was obviously significantly impacted and, and affected. So that was on the table to not do anything. You know, I'll tell you, our 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 community's spirit is not that right. So I don't know that. Well, it was always in conversation of okay, what if we did not right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that was ever a, a viable option for us in the sense that we were going to make something happen one way or the other. Right, and and I don't think there was there was ever a right or wrong either. Certainly, um, yep. I'm just thinking of you know the Olympics and yep. everything that has happened with that, and it's still you know in the headlines every day. Sure, now. and a major U.S. festival like Coachella, you know, uh, pushed from the spring to the fall, and then from the fall to this year, and then ultimately canceled. You know, both 20 was it 20 and 21, right? And they'll just come back next spring. So. Every festival is taking different paths, and, and we're thrilled that we were able to do as much as we were last year. All told, we put on about 60 socially distanced concerts at Steel Stacks throughout the course of the back half of, of the year, all the way into, into November outside. We were res- as resourceful as we could be, and the community was tremendously supportive. How were they distanced? Like, did you have certain areas on the grass? Sure, or? we did. So on, actually, we turned to the town square area right outside the ArtsQuest Center. And we were doing most of the shows there so that we could have people at tables that were socially distanced, that were, that were the, ta- the we ensured that the, sh- the chairs, even when, when seated, you know, were, were more than six feet apart from one another throughout the town square. And then we also, on the Levitt Lawn, drew some with some spray mm-hmm. paint uh drew some boxes that were distanced uh, apart from each other and we were able to use the video screen over on the levitt steel stack stage with a video feed from the town square so that you could still watch it and so you know we were able to have about 120 some pods across the campus that could seat up to up to parties of four so it was still you know we were still having hundreds of people come out to a lot of these shows last year when did so okay, and and that went well, which is great. When did you start planning twenty twenty one, and how sure. did that progress? What a fluid year the last year has been, and so knowing that we knew we were in the tunnel, you couldn't see the end of it. You knew it would come, but you you just you, you couldn't see the end of it. So you try to say, okay, so how do I light some matches along the way? And so you. We approach it from a, here's what we could do. Here's a worst case scenario, right? And worst case scenarios, we kind of be like what we had been doing in 2020, where we can do these socially distanced shows. And by New Year's this year, we had turned our attention on to, okay, how do we do a number of the sites of the festival? How do we get back to fest plots? How do we get to Plaza Tropical? How do we get to different sites around the city and do socially distanced setups there as well? 
And so we had, you know, segue all the way through spring, our planning, uh, developing these ideas. And then right around May 1, we had said, okay, right before Memorial Day, we're going to announce this festival. We're going to have to capacity control it. We're going to have to, we were going to have sessions so that, you know, we could kind of turn over that capacity in these state, in these sites. You're going to have to reserve tables in the sites. It would all be socially distanced. And then the order came, which we were not expecting, which was green light, go. You know, you can do anything you want back to normal almost come early June. Right. And so the team pivoted and in three weeks, we changed all of our plans from what we have been working for months on to Music Fest and what people know as Music Fest. And that was a, a hectic couple of weeks that we're still, uh, we talk about putting the plane together as we're going down the runway. I think we're going to be putting the plane together while we're in air during the festival, it's still in some areas, but we were able to change our change some of our planning to allow this you know open, free to the public Music Fest where you can walk freely between the stages. We're very excited to present next month. Now, and I think that that's awesome. Obviously, it's it's what makes sense. I'm sure, though, you hear things like, I'm not ready to go back into large crowds, even though I'm sure. vaccinated or something like that. I mean, everybody's tolerance level is different based on their own Certainly. personality. So, so how do you kind of approach that? viewpoint sure we've we have taken a number of measures in the festival this year to ensure that we are producing it in as safe a way as possible for the public and whether that's you know more hand sanitizing stations or you know just the fact that most every venue of the festival is outdoors there's there's only one indoor venue of the festival this year and we, we looked at what venues we were using for for some of that as well to you know kind of the nature of okay well what are we doing at this stage? What are we doing? That's how these tables lay out, things like that, just with a cognizant eye on, you know, some people just aren't ready to be on, on top of one another just yet. There were, you know, if, if guests uh, have approached us and, and aren't ready to return to the main stage where seats are right next to each other, you know, we totally understand and respect that. And we've made some, you know, refund accommodations that typically would not be in our, our refund policy for the festival. We're trying to be as accommodating as possible to guests who want to come but want are looking for a safer experience. Obviously, anyone is welcome to wear masks across the festival grounds and kind of keep their own space from others. I think so some of the beauty of Music Fest is it does cover a large area, so you are able to find some, certainly not private, but but kind of nooks and crannies of the festival that are a little more distanced from others. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, common sense. Yep, and, and common sense rules the day. And certainly for families or people who are at risk in any way or, or you're not feeling well themselves, you know, we encourage you, please don't don't right. come to the festival. Stay home. There will be a Music Fest 2020, 22 and 23 and 24 beyond that. So if people are thinking about coming out but aren't feeling well or, or might be at risk, if there's a music fest this year, there'll be a music fest next year. So we're excited to, to welcome you back then. The next thing I, I want to touch on is, is a big change for 2021, and that's with the payment process. Sure. Everybody who's been to Music Fest knows that I think since day one, yep. it's always involved buying tickets. The price of the tickets has changed over the years, but sure. but you would use tickets to purchase your food and beverages, and that was a way to track attendance. You just announced, and it became big news, that for this year, there will be no more tickets. Cash, primarily credit and debit, will be taken, right? Correct. So it's, it's a, it is a big change. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it here, Josh. 
you know, we, we've been looking at how do we modernize the festival year over year and the pandemic offered us an opportunity to, to really look at some of our operations. And, and one of them has been the food and beverage tickets that we've used in the past. And technology has put us in a place that we are able to accept credit cards all across the festival grounds. Actually, the south side of Music Fest at Steel Stacks has welcomed cash, credit, and food and beverage tickets over the last several years. Mm-hmm. So we ha- have been able to dip our toes in the water a little bit here before we fully swim, <laughs> so we know exactly how we're doing it. The biggest thing is that all the food vendors across the festival this year, you'll be able to use your credit card. In fact, card is the only method that food vendors across the festival will be accepting. now. One of the things that we're very big on at Music Fest and ArtsQuest is accessibility. We welcome all members of the community, and we know some of our community, maybe they don't have a bank account, maybe they don't have a credit card. And so we wanted folks who are cash carrying to have, you know, to be able to, to use Music Fest as well. So instead of the food and beverage ticket stands that people historically know, those will be more information booths this year, but also will be selling cash cards. So if you have cash in your pocket and you want to get something to eat at the festival, you can exchange that onto a card. We'll load it with whatever that cash dollar amount is you want to put on it. And then it works just like a Visa card or a gift card from there within the festival grounds. So it's mm-hmm. not something you can't, unfortunately, you can't take it you know, to Barnes & Noble or right. to offsite and try to use it in the community. Uh, but on the festival grounds, festival vendors will accept it just like they would have food and beverage tickets in the past. And you can reload that card as much as you need throughout the, the course of the festival if you're carrying cash. Otherwise, just bring your credit card. And, and we've seen Major League Baseball stadiums go, go uh, cashless and just do a credit card, credit or debit card based system. And so we're excited to uh, modernize Music Fest in that way as well. I've even seen some retail stores that are, that are like that now. I, I was at King of Prussia Mall, and, and one of the stores did not take cash at all. And, and you're talking about COVID, you know, as yeah. another opportunity of, of just that cash, you know, tra- tra- cash right. transactions, you know, where the cash has been, right? For a number of different reasons, this was the year to make the change, and, and so we're excited to do that while offering a way for all the community to, to get engaged nonetheless. Now, let me give you, like, a hypothetical sure. scenario. Say I'm waiting in line to buy a beer under this new system. At what point am I going to pay? Like sure. when I get to the front of the line? Or- no, as, as you check out, you'll be checking out from the bars and the, and the, the beer tents at the festival. So you'll, you'll go through the line, they'll fill you up, you'll swipe your card as, as you exit the tent. Oh, okay. So very straightforward and, and no extra line to go No, no extra step. And that's one thing we, we are excited about. It kind of speeds up the customer experience this year. Historically, you've had to wait in line to purchase the food and beverage tickets and then wait in line to right. go buy the food, right, buy the beverage. So this year, you're able to just walk right up and, and it's one line to make your purchase rather than two. And certainly we know on a busy Friday, Saturday night of the festival, those lines can be lengthy. So we're, we're excited to be able to cut down on that a bit. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. I mean, if, if people have gone to the south side, parts of the festival in recent years, cash was accepted. And I remember the first time I paid with cash I was like oh I'm breaking the rules there you are, right it's uh, uh you know when I go to festivals all across the country and you know it's dangerous because I I, I just you know when you're using the card it's like you're not you right. know you're just oh yeah another drink or another hot dog or wh- whatever it is right it's a little a little more dangerous for the consumer but we are excited to offer guests that that opportunity and there are the south side will still take cash so the north side is going to be a, a cashless system a card card only system right right very cool you also, as part of this year's festival, are going to have a number of new vendors, specifically food vendors, yeah. in addition to many returning food vendors. 
how many food vendors do you have total? Sure, so more than 40 food vendors across the festival okay. grounds. Always some new additions to the lineup, and, and this year, no, no exception. We had an article about some of them, and the range of cuisines is incredible. Everything from Cuban to bagels to, sure. to what else did I say? Oh, waffles. Yep, like, yep. And ice cream, of course. Macaroons um, this year is yes. a new dessert uh, we're excited to be offering. Yeah, the, right. the, the new is a new skewered vendor, simply skewered, that has Korean and, and European and, and Spanish different skewers. So the food, and look, I, I'm, I've come up in the in the organization through booking the music, but proudly wear my I'm here for the food shirt from time <laughs> to time, my Music Fest shirt, because I enjoy the eats across the festival as much as anyone. One of the things I was curious about is what is the process like for becoming a food vendor? I mean, do you have to be local? Do you have to have so many staff members? I mean, what what kinds of criteria are there? Sure, we have a committee of volunteers who've been working with food vendors across the region for years now, recruiting new new food vendors and kind of checking up on the ones we have to ensure that the product is still good and, and, and they're still going to be the right fit for the festival. So we do take applications, open applications, and we've had food vendors from across the United States over the years. Uh, there have been food vendors from California, Texas, Florida, all over over the years. And so it's an open open process and, and we do ask for some recommendations or, or other places you've been so we can talk to some folks and get a sense of, you know, some of what a proposed menu item would be. We're always trying to balance the menu across the festival. Obviously, we can't have 10 different people coming in serving pizza with 25% of the festival serving pizza is not going to work. So, you know, we want to get a good balance of what there is to eat and offerings. All of that's taken into account when we, when we put the food lineup together. And it probably shouldn't be your first rodeo right. as a food vendor. A hundred percent. We definitely are screening these vendors to ensure that they're ready for a festival environment. It's one thing to have a food truck and, you know, pull up at your local brewery on a Saturday or winery on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and be able to kind of casually serve guests. It's another to do the volume and speed at which Music Fest requires. So uh, right. certainly it's something we're, we're attuned to. And certainly some of them over the years, if they've been there many, many years, you almost develop like a cult-like following. A hundred percent, right? The, I'm the, of all shucks. Right, all thinking. shucks, the island noodles, guy, you know, the, the all shucks guys, their business model, man, Josh, we're in the wrong business. They are, <laughs> but now just, you know, what is it, four or five dollars, ears of corn that they're right. just selling, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth over the course of the festival. It's, it's, it's amazing, the following that some of these, some of these uh, food vendors have. So much so that it was even a, a story the other day that the cup from Bethlehem was not going to be a vendor. Yeah, Bethlehem Dairy Store, a longtime music fest vendor that, that we're bummed to not have at the festival this year, unfortunately, but obviously respecting everyone's business decisions in a, in a, in a different time. But right. we have tried, we brought in uh, was Philly Waffle Cabin for Belgian waffles or Dinky's Ice Cream, which will be across the festival grounds. We still have some dessert options across the festival that we know uh, guests will enjoy. Right. And like I said, on Sock and Source, we have a, an article about all the new or many of the new food options that you can check out this year. Switching over to musical acts, because it is first and foremost about music. Is there like a certain percentage of local groups that you try and adhere to? Sure. Or? I'll tell you, just there's not a litmus test that we go through on an annual basis to say, okay, like what's our number, right? We're not, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily track to a number. That said, the way it has fallen historically, and once again, is that about a third of the festival is what I'll call local. Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, the Lehigh Valley region, right? And then about 40% of the festival is what I'll call regional. So 
outside the Lehigh Valley, but not you know with within a, a four-hour drive, we'll say. So maybe somebody from Maryland or out of New York City or New Jersey, Philly bands, even bands from Pittsburgh or, or just over you know the New York State border. So Connecticut. So regionally, kind of to to within four or five hours, about forty percent of the festival. And then the other, you know, 20-some percent is more nationally touring stuff. This year, there's a little bit less of that and a little bit more of, of the local regional in the festival, just the way things shaped out as we were putting the lineup together. Uh, usually about 20-25% of the festival is nationally touring bands out of Seattle, LA, Nashville, Austin, Florida, whatever it might be. This year, a little less of that because in the spring, when we were plotting out the festival, you know, people just didn't know how they'd be able to tour yet. You wouldn't be able to put a tour together where if you're a band from Chicago, you know you're able to play, okay, I'm gonna go to Detroit and then Cleveland and then Pittsburgh and then Bethlehem and then New York and then Boston and then come back to, you know, like you just couldn't map that route out because not only was every, every, every state, every county, every community was in a different place on what restrictions were. So a little less nationally touring this year and a little bit more local, but typically about a third of the festival is, is from right here in the Lehigh Valley area. Mm -hmm. And that sort of leads me into my next question, which is sort of like the perennial <coughs> question or complaint for some yeah. people. When Music Fest started, it was all about the community. And over the years, sure. it's it's gotten just so big that it's it's less community focused. Now, I know that that's not the case, but how do you, it, it's, it's difficult, I'm sure, to balance, you know, the community focus with trying to introduce new things for people. Sure. Many people want to hear new music, too. Absolutely. It's, it's a, we're a discovery festival, right? People come to, to find their new favorite band they've never heard of. And some of the festival's biggest favorites are a group like Igor and the Red Elvises from, from Los Angeles, or from mm -hmm. Santa Monica, right? Or Scythian, a group from down in Virginia. So that said, it's a balancing act. And we work with a number of different local partners to help in that too. Uh, so whether it's the, the Greater Lehigh Valley Music Association and our partnership with them doing a showcase at Music Fest at Levitt and other things throughout the year, whether it's a group like Godfrey Daniels, which is a, a small music room here in South Bethlehem, they do their own showcase and lineup every year. They take a whole day at, at one of our uh, stages. Whether it's the singer-songwriter stage and some of the best of open mic night that we have an open mic at Seal Stacks that we're incorporating some new local artists into the festival. So every year we take a different approach to working with local partners to ensure that the Lehigh Valley music scene is well represented throughout the course of the festival, while also balancing that with what a lot of people are looking for, which is a band they've, they've never heard of before and, and never seen before, and making that magical moment happen for them. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun of going to Music Fest, like finding, you know, new things and, and you know, but you also, you know, look forward to the to the traditions. Certainly, yep. I'm thinking of the, the guy that... That plays those bells. Ah, like. uh, the cast and bronze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is he gonna be there? He's not. Unfortunately, it's been a few years since oh, since really? we've had cast and bronze festival. We've been changing up that area uh, from time see. to time. You know, for years he was a tradition, and this year there's a little less what I'll call spectacle acts in the festival. Again, based on a couple things, whether it's just from a public safety standpoint, a lot of our buskers, our street performers, tend to attract large crowds that are right on top of each other, that are mm -hmm. very, you know, family focused. And so with our youngest attendees in Music Fest not able to get a vaccine just yet, we're cognizant of that and how we build the festival out. So 
Some of those events are not a part of this year's festival. We hope to return them in, in 22, but are just glad to be at the festival in the first place. That makes sense. And there will still be plenty of attractions. Certainly. Plenty to Certainly plenty to do. Still hundreds of, of artists across the festival and dozens of things to see and do. Right. And so just to give people a wrap-up of when it's happening, it's August 6th to the 15th. Right. And this year, even starting a night early with uh, preview night on the south side, uh, we have a... Darius Rucker, you know the way our main stage, Kyle, I'll just talk for, if I, do I have a minute, Josh, to talk about yeah, the main stage? So, absolutely. So the way the main stage came together this year, very bizarre. We had booked, obviously we had booked shows for 2020, that then we moved to 2021, that then at some point this past winter, we approached and said, we got to move you all to 2022, as we were planning the Socially Distanced Music Fest. Well, then the order came out in, in early May that we'd be okay to have a main stage this year, which, which you know, I don't think we, many were anticipating. Mm-hmm. And so we went to all those artists and said, okay, well, who can play 21 after all, right? And so we kind of scrambled <laughs> to get people back on the lineup. Concurrently, we had been booking for a socially distanced main stage, which would have been a much smaller capacity. But we had bands like Preservation Hall Jazz Band and Colin, the Colin Hay Band committing to that format. And so we weren't able to get, you know, like Willie Nelson, for example. We have a sold-out show with Willie Nelson that was supposed to play Music Fest 20. We moved to 21. Now, you know, now we moved to 22 that we tried to get back in this, this summer's lineup. And when we approached them, we said, unfortunately, we gave the date away. We routed ourselves as part of this whole other tour. We're not going to be able to do anything for Music Fest. I'm sorry, but we're, we're committed to 22. And so things like that happened. And we had this contract for Press Hall. And so it's just a goofy way that we've got this mix of like Darius Rucker and Shinedown and some of these shows that were intended to play the main stage and have a lot of ticket sales behind them, right? And then now we've got this opportunity to have seven of the, of the 11 nights are only a $15 ticket. And hmm. we're thrilled to be able to have it a, an affordable level. And a Preservation Hall jazz band, Colin Hay, if you look at some of their other tour dates across the country, they're... tickets in different venues that here in Bethlehem, you know, you're able to see the show for just $15 on the main stage of Music Fest. We know that people have been hit hard by the pandemic in their own pocketbooks, and so we're thrilled to be able to make great lemonade for everybody out of this kind of weird mix of ingredients we were starting to come up with with these larger shows and then these socially distanced shows we had booked. So anyway, the main stage came together. So all that's to say... The date that Darius was able to get back in, in the lineup this year is, is that preview night, Thursday, okay. August 5th. So 5th to the to the 15th are this year's dates. It's a good compromise to have him do that preview night. Yeah, it was the, you know, they he's playing the Canton, Ohio, the uh, National Football Hall of Fame induction on the day that was intended to be our mm. date this summer. And so obviously we we didn't trump the NFL, but we were able to still get a date, date to happen and we're excited to welcome a really diverse mix of artists of, of, of a number of levels across the, the festival. Right. And the main thing, too, is, I mean, like you said earlier, m- most of the shows, I'm not sure percentage-wise, but the vast majority are free. Still. That's right. Hundreds of free performances across the 10 days of the festival. So Right. So if you have to pay a little more for food or something like that, plus a lot of those businesses probably were hit hard that, by the that, pandemic. You're absolutely right, Josh. And, and again, we're a very community-minded organization. We 
we, we built the festival to benefit the small business community here in the Lehigh Valley and, and the business community. So that's a big part of our focus. And while the, the acts are free, the festival is not, right? Uh, it, it costs money to put up the tents and the stages and the sound and the artists all get paid and all the food vendors who are working hard to maintain their livelihoods. So we appreciate the community support coming out for it. And we probably should give a shout out to the volunteers too. Oh man, and I'll tell you what, we are in need of volunteers. So if you're listening, uh, we can use your help. The festival in 1984 ran on about 600 to 700 volunteers. Wow. And uh, we have only more than doubled in size since then in terms of festival footprint. So that's the type of volume that we're in need of and, and we're not there yet. So if you're interested, it's a ton of fun to come out and volunteer at Music Fest, meet new people, and there's a whole number of different ways you can get involved. So musicfest.org for more information on how to volunteer for Music Fest. And then if I'm somebody that's you know planning to come to Music Fest, maybe for the first time, where should I go for information and to figure out what my itinerary is going to be? What's the best? Sure, way to do I encourage everyone to download the app, the Music Fest app, available in the Apple Store for free or on Android as well. It's um, you know all the lineup is there, the food vendors are there, the festival map is there, the times on it all is there. You can build your own schedule if if you, if you so choose. The website as well, musicfest.org has has all this information, has the lineup, has the information. There's a program book that'll be available uh, right on, right during the festival. So as you come to the festival, you can pick one of those up and get a little bit more information on on where and when things are happening. But all of it's available on the on the app and on the website. Awesome, and I just want to also mentioned that the poster this year is really evocative and striking whoever designed that vibrant color uh you know coming out of the pandemic we were looking for something bright hopeful certainly the Mm. the poppy image is reminiscent of that rebirth and new life new energy and so excited to have a, a, a local artist who did the, the poster design this year. It's actually, it's an oil painting that we then lifted the imagery of to use as, as we have through the festival. It's a gorgeous image. And we're, we're actually auctioning off the, the image. More information on that at musicfest.org too. Oh, I, I want to win that. <laughs> she has a number of, the poster art is one specific painting, but there's a series of these kind of poppy imagery paintings that the artist uh, put together. So they're available for sale. They're, they're on display in the Arts Quest Center at Steel Stacks. They're the uh, the gallery show right now up. Well, thank you again so much, Patrick, for, Thanks for having me. joining us. And, and I encourage all of our listeners to, like you said, download the app, follow Music Fest on social media. You're on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. And of course, you know, visit musicfest.org. And, and you know, Arts Quest because Arts Quest is a year-round institution. We are, you know, SteelStacks.org for more information. If you're if you're not able to be here, join us for Music Fest or listen to this podcast after the festival, maybe even SteelStacks.org. We have two-screen art cinema in the building that's open 365 days of the year. We put on uh, hundreds of concerts on the campus throughout the course of the year. We have looking forward to Oktoberfest and Chris Kindlemart coming up mm, later this this yeah. this year. Yet, yeah, so a lot more coming here in Bethlehem. Fantastic, thank you. Thank you. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? 
Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Saucon Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening.